spend just a moment acknowledging, you know, kind of going from celebration mode to serious mode here. Maybe you heard about the shooting in Orlando, and if the information is correct, that I think that's the worst mass shooting in our country's history. And unfortunately, uh, the way things are going, it, it may not be the last, and things may get even worse. And so... Uh, I just want us to take a moment and um, have a time of silence, and, and maybe you could offer a prayer for those who were affected and impacted by that tragedy. So let's just take a moment. Lord, on a, mo- on a morning where we are celebrating, we do... Uh, turn our thoughts to those who lost their life today, this morning, and just pray for your comfort and peace there and, and protect our country. Lord, give our leaders wisdom in knowing how to respond to such situations and what to do. Because we don't know, Lord, we don't know what to do. And we plead with you to protect us and And uh, help us, Lord, as we figure that out. Jesus, we pray in your name. Amen. Okay, we're continuing um, in our series, God and Kings. Uh, Before we read the passage, though, I do want us to read together this prayer, asking God to lead us in this time to speak to us. Uh, It's an assumption that we have that that when we come on Sunday morning, we may not be in a place to hear. Uh, We might be distracted. Our hearts might be cold to God, and we need a spirit to be present. And so would you join me as we pray this prayer together? Guide us, O God, by your word and Holy Spirit, that in your light we may see light, in your truth find freedom, and in your will discover peace. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. So as I mentioned, we're continuing this series that we've been uh, doing called God and Kings. We've been looking at uh, Samuel and Kings. Uh, now we're uh, in First Kings. And, and before we jump into uh, our passage this morning, uh, I, I want to give you a little context. We're looking at the life of Solomon. We're looking at a pivotal moment in Solomon's life. And so uh, in 1 Kings chapter 10, there's one verse I want to read to you. It says this, King Solomon excelled all the kings of the earth in riches and in wisdom. So King Solomon is at the pinnacle of his success. He has it all. Everything you could want. The riches, he's wise, the wisest king on earth. Now keep that in mind. As we move into reading in 1 Kings chapter 11. And I want to ask you, would, would you all stand with me as we read this portion of God's word out of a sign of respect? 1 Kings 11. Now King Solomon loved many foreign women. Along with the daughter of Pharaoh. Moabite, Ammonite, Edomite, Sidonian and Hittite women. From the nations concerning which the Lord had said to the people of Israel, You shall not enter into marriage with them, neither shall they with you. For surely they will turn away 
your heart after their gods. Solomon clung to these in love. He had 700 wives who were princesses and 300 concubines, and his wives turned away his heart. For when Solomon was old, his wives turned away his heart after other gods, and his heart was not wholly true to the Lord his God, as was the heart of David his father. For Solomon went after Eshtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and after Milcom, the abomination of the Ammonites. So Solomon did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and did not wholly follow the Lord as David his father had done. Then Solomon built a high place for Chemosh, the abomination of Moab, and for Molech, the abomination of the Ammonites, on the mountain east of Jerusalem. And so he did for all his foreign wives who made offerings and sacrificed to their gods. And the Lord was angry with Solomon because his heart had turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice and had commanded him concerning this thing, that he should not go after other gods. But he did not keep what the Lord commanded. Therefore, the Lord said to Solomon, since this has been your practice and you have not kept my covenant and my statutes that I have commanded you, I will surely tear the kingdom from you and will give it to your servant. Yet for the sake of David, your father, I will not do it in your days, but I will tear it out of the hand of your son. However, I will not tear away all the kingdom, but I will give one tribe to your son for the sake of David, my servant, and for the sake of Jerusalem that I have chosen. This is God's word. You may be seated. As we mentioned 10 years ago, my wife and I moved to Long Beach. We gathered with a small group of people on Sunday evenings and we began dreaming about a new church here in the city. And I can say that many of those dreams have come true. We dreamed of a welcoming community that exuded an aroma of Jesus. And I know some of you have come here from... Um, terrible church experiences, and you found healing here. And so I feel like in many ways that dream has come true. We dreamed of leaders, men and women, giving of their time and their resources, investing in the ministry here at King's Church. And I see that in our community groups, in our ministries, in our, in our setup, in our breakdown, in our children's ministry, in all the things that happen here, not just on Sunday, but during the week. You all are a part of the fulfillment of that dream. So thank you. We dreamed of a diverse community of, of old and young, of different you know, ethnicities, all coming together to meet God, experience him and follow Jesus. And you look around the room, I think we could say that dream has been fulfilled in many ways. And finally, we dreamed about being a positive influence in Long Beach, of being a church that people outside of King's Church would be glad that we're here. They would know that Long Beach is a better place because King's Church exists. And I think in many ways, that dream has been fulfilled. And as I reflect on the past 10 years and the success that we've had, I can't help but give thanks to God because I, in many ways, think of my own limitations and weaknesses, and I'm amazed. Because, let me tell you, over the past 10 years, I've wrestled with bouts of depression and anxiety. 
I've questioned my calling, my abilities. I have had moments when I've thought very seriously, I am not the right guy to pastor this church. I'm not spiritual enough. I don't pray enough. I'm not godly enough. I'm not strategic enough. (laughs) I go down the list. And yet here we are. Not a perfect church. Not the best church. But we're a church that's striving to be faithful, stumbling along, following Christ, offering Him to a broken world. And that's why I think we're we're a huge success. And I celebrate that. Which is why Solomon's example is so important for us at this point in the life of our church. Solomon was a huge success. He had it all. The riches, the wisdom, and yet we're told that his heart turned away from God. And after his death, his kingdom was torn in two. Now as we look ahead... For the next 10 years of King's Church, we need to remember Solomon's story. Because if Solomon was vulnerable to drifting, then we are even more vulnerable to turning away from our first love, Jesus. Now let's consider Solomon's story for a moment. If you remember weeks ago, Robin preached a sermon from 1 Kings chapter 3 where God appeared to Solomon and asked a question. He said, what shall I give you? And do you remember what Solomon said? Wisdom, right? Wisdom to govern your people. And this is what God told him in 1 Kings 3. Behold, I give you a wise and discerning mind so that none like you has been before you and none like you shall arise After you. So here is Solomon, the wisest of kings, and his success and his wealth was evidence of that, and yet all of that wisdom didn't protect him. We're told that later in his life, Solomon's heart was captivated by his many wives, and in verse 2, we're told that Solomon clung to these in love. In other words, his heart was so attached and devoted to his wives, that they became more dear to him than God. And his wives encouraged him to worship these false gods. I mean, so he built shrines near Jerusalem, probably in view of the temple that he had just got done building years earlier. uh, Temples for Ashtoreth, Molech, Chemosh, and others. Here is the wisest man who ever lived. Even he was susceptible to losing his way. Malcolm Muggeridge was a a British journalist who died uh, decades ago. Uh, After graduating from Cambridge, as a young man, he moved to India to teach English. One day, Malcolm was strolling by a nearby river in the early evening, and he spotted a silhouette of a woman bathing on the other side of the river. Now, Malcolm later wrote about this this event, and he talked about his heart racing with what he called the wild unreasonableness, which is called passion. And overcome by his lust, he plunged, fully clothed, into the river and began to swim across. And as he approached the woman, he suddenly realized she was a toothless 
wrinkled, deformed leper. He immediately stopped and and turned around and, and went in the other direction, swimming back across the river. And years later, in telling his father this story, Malcolm admitted that the real shock that morning was not the woman, the leper. The real shock was the condition of his own heart. The uncontrollable, dark appetites that overcame his weak will. I want to I show you this diagram as, as we begin to think about Malcolm's story. And, and this diagram is broken up into three components. And I want to think of each and every one of us through this lens of, of your head, your heart, and your hands. And what I want to talk about for a few moments is how the three of these things interact and work together. Take Malcolm's story, for example. His heart, his heart, which we might call his desire, and in his situation, his lust, fueled and directed his hands, his actions, his behavior. He was overcome by his passion, and it compelled him to jump in a river and swim to the other side with the intent of having sex with a woman he didn't know. You might say he was acting out of his mind, but the reality is his mind was involved. It's just that his heart was actually controlling his head. His heart had convinced his mind in that moment that being with this woman was the very thing that would satisfy his deep longings, that that would be the best thing to do in that moment. And this is what our hearts can do to us. Our hearts can compel us to do incredible things that if we were in our right mind, we would never do. They can persuade us of what our ultimate good is. And this is how the head, heart, and hands can interact and work and can either cause us to live a life that's honoring to God or can cause us to go down a path that is destructive and actually can destroy us. And Malcolm's heart in this story wanted what it wanted and convinced his head that it was the right thing to do and then his hands took action. And as Dallas Willard, the old USC uh, professor, puts it, when the will is enslaved to a desire, it will in turn enslave the mind. And so I would argue that's exactly what happened to Solomon. That Solomon's heart was controlling his mind and directing his actions. And this is why we need to be reminded of how susceptible our hearts are. And we need to be reminded as a church community of how important it is to be grounded in God's word. Of how important God's word is for us and why God has given it to us. Paul the apostle says in the book of Romans, be transformed by the renewal of your mind. You see, God has given us his word to renew our mind, to give us a vision of what the good life really is, the kind of life that God wants for us. See, God has given us his word as a path for our feet, a path to walk towards the ultimate good. And it should shape our mind of what that vision is and control our desires and lead our desires and our passions towards that ultimate good. See, what I'm not, I'm not talking about 
suppressing your hearts, denying your hearts, or, or you know, extinguishing your passion or desire. I'm saying what we have to be careful about is when those, those passions and desires that are God-given, when they're not guided by God's word, they go in the wrong direction, as in the case of Malcolm and as in the case of Solomon. You know, I run into this every time we get pizza. I know I've talked about pizza in the past. Uh, my mind tells me I only need two pieces. But once I have my two pieces, my appetite, my heart begins to talk to me and says, you know, I think three would really make you feel even better. I don't know why I always fall for it, but I do. I reach, my hands follow suit because my heart is directing my mind telling me what my ultimate good is in that situation. And of course, I don't stop at three. I might go to four. <laughs> On a good day, maybe five. <laughs> but you can see the interplay. If my mind was directing my, my passions in that situation, I would stick to two. But my heart has taken over. Now, that's just kind of a silly example. With Solomon, it's a much more serious example and it should shake us and wake us and, and cause us to see that we're at risk. You're at risk. I'm at risk. And oftentimes the reality is we're blind to our vulnerabilities. We don't think we're at risk. I mean, I don't think Solomon thought he was at risk. He was the wisest man on the face of the earth. In our culture, think about the culture that we live in. It celebrates people that are... Uh, uh, directed by their hearts. You're, we're told, I, I think Lucy Carroll, my daughter, was watching Sophia the first. And it was talking about, trust your heart. You know, your heart will lead you on the right path. And, and, and you hear that mantra all the time. And yet we see with Solomon what happens when we let our hearts direct us. You know, Solomon's story shows us that our hearts will always lead us astray. If it's not working together with God's word to show us what the way really is. Because our hearts are broken. That's, our, that's what the Bible teaches us about who we are as human beings. Our hearts are broken. Now in Solomon's story, it, it's very clear. Uh, at the beginning of the passage in verse 2, we're told that God's word was in, was in this story uh, God told his people way back with Moses, way back before the Israelites even got to the land. He told them, you shall not enter into marriage with these foreign women. Neither shall they with you, for surely they will turn away your heart after their gods. Here's an example of God's word presented to Solomon, telling him what a vision of what the, the right path truly was. And of course, Solomon didn't listen. He didn't let his mind be shaped by God's word. He let his mind be shaped by his passion and his desire. And it led him astray. And it led him away from God. Now, we have talked about often the up in and out diagram. Uh, the idea that God created us to be in relationship in three ways. Up with him. Uh, out with others and in with ourselves. And, and our mission as a church is to help people become more like Jesus in these three ways because the story of redemption is this, that sin fractured these harmonious relationships that God created us to be in. With Adam and Eve, God created them 
good. And they were in these good relationships with God, with one another, and with themselves. But when sin enters the world, those relationships are fractured and broken. And now our hearts do not work the way they were intended to work. And this is why we need the gospel. Jeremiah speaks of this in in chapter 17. Listen to what he says about our hearts. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. This is our condition. This is who we are. This is why the gospel is so important to us because the gospel tells us that God fixes broken things. He fixes our hearts. He fixes our broken world. That's what he's doing through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And so that gospel pronouncement that God fixes broken things, we need that message and we need to be told that so that we do not despair by the news that our hearts are broken because we know God's at work to fix them. And when you become into a relationship with Jesus, what happens is God gives you a new heart. God comes into your life. He gives you a new heart. While it still has sin, it's still broken in some ways. Now you have a desire to know God and a desire to love God and a desire to follow God. And so that is the good news of the gospel that we want to continue to promote here at King's Church and continue to announce and be centered in and grounded in because that is our hope. And as I look back on the 10 years of our church and begin to look at the next 10 years of our church, I'm thankful for Solomon's story because we need to be grounded in this reality that we could easily drift. As a church, we could easily drift. Our hearts could easily be turned away from Christ. We can become satisfied and focused on the wrong things. We could be so worried about our finances and so worried about the people that are here and so worried about our programs or all of these things and we lose sight of the important thing and that's Christ and our relationship with Him and being grounded in Him and putting Him first and letting Him guide us. That's why I think the Proverbs in chapter 4 is so important. Above all else, guard your heart. For it is the wellspring of life. This must be our priority in the next 10 years of our church. Guard the hearts of you, of our staff, of our leaders. Guard our hearts so that we do not drift away from Christ. Now how should we do that? Well, Obviously, what I've already stated is that being grounded in God's word is an important part of that. That's where God gives us a vision of the ultimate good, shapes our mind of, what, of where we are going and what we should be pursuing. And we, ask, and we have our hearts follow our minds with that vision. And so being grounded in God's word is so important, but it's for the purpose, not just to know God's word. It's for the purpose of being in relationship with Christ. We've got to be in relationship with him. And the gospel needs to continue to be at the forefront of our message that it's, that it's God who does the work. I love this verse from Come Thou Found of Every Blessing. We sing it here at King's Church. Listen to how this speaks to what I'm talking about. Oh, to grace how great a debtor daily I'm constrained to be. Like thy, uh, let thy goodness like a fetter bind my wandering heart to thee. Prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart. 
O take and seal it, seal it for thy courts above. This needs to be our continual mantra for the next 10 years of this church. God, seal our hearts, keep our hearts from wandering because we are prone to it. We acknowledge that, we confess that, we repent of that. That needs to be continually coming off our lips. And as a community, speaking that truth and pleading with God to protect us and to lead us and to guide us. And so we need to have that mentality. We need to enter into the next 10 years of our church with that understanding and that perspective. And that will be key to anything we attempt to do as a church for the next 10 years. But the other element that I think is so important, and I'll just end with this, is is we have got to do this together. We have got to do it in community. None of this can happen in isolation. And none of this should happen by ourselves. I just this week uh, listened to a TED Talk by Sebastian Junger. He's a, a journalist. The TED Talk was called, Our Lonely Society Makes It Hard to Come Home from War. Uh, his whole talk was about the challenges that, that our military has when they come back from war. Integrated in our society. Years ago, he did a study of, of Navajo Indians, and he, he had the conclusion that these warriors of the years past who would fight in, in, in fierce battles, he believed they probably did not struggle with PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder. And his belief was it was because they would go and have these traumatic battles, but they would come back to their tribe. They would come back to a community that would embrace them where they belonged and where they would be a part of something bigger than themselves. And he contrasts that with the current state of our military and how the PTSD has been on the rise and increasing because our our veterans or military come back from these traumatic experiences of fighting in Afghanistan or Iraq and suicides are going up. And applications for for care for these symptoms are going up. And his argument is it's because of our society, not because of their experiences in war. It's because we have an individualistic, isolated society where these military veterans come home and they they don't have a tribe. And I'm listening to that, I'm thinking, my goodness, that's so true. And I think it's such a challenge for us as people in our culture today to have a different perspective to say, you know what? It's not about me and my family. It's about my tribe. I'm a part of something bigger. I'm a part of a community. And it's not just about our little thing and our little life. It's about something bigger. And we will fail, we will drift if we do not come together as a community and develop that tribal mentality, that wolf pack mentality, and to see our need for one another. Because the reality is, if you're studying God's word by yourself and you're trying to let God's word shape your heart by yourself, you're in danger. You've got to have people in your life who are asking you tough questions. You've got to have people you're in community with. 
who are challenging your perceptions and your beliefs. You need people who you trust who can come ask you, how is your heart? How is your relationship with Jesus? And people that you believe in and trust enough to tell them the truth and not just give them an answer that you think they want to hear. If you do not have that, you're in trouble. Like Solomon, you're in trouble. And so as we think about the next 10 years... I think about being focused on Christ, abiding in Him, keeping Him at central at the core, but also I think about community. I think about the structure of our church, and I just want to introduce to you quickly how, how we are structuring King's Church for the next 10 years, and it's what we're calling the four C's. The four C's. And these are all ministry opportunities taking place in community. If you want to know how King's Church is structured, I want you to think of it the four C's. Corporate worship is, is that weekly, regular, coming together, repeating our story as a tribe. Saying, this is who we are. This is who God is. Celebrating Him. Being renewed by the gospel. And being sent out on mission. So corporate worship is an essential part of this community, communal, tribal ritual that we need to do on a regular basis. You all know about community groups. We've done that for the past 10 years. In fact, one in three has kind of been the overall structure of our church for many years. But what we want to see happen in the next 10 years is to, is to build up number two and number four. Um, number four are cluster groups, and that's triads. That's groups of three people who are coming together with a more intentional, intimate group seeking to follow Christ, where somebody is going to be sitting across the table from you, looking you in the eye and say, hey, how are you doing? How's your relationship with Jesus? What are you struggling with? How can I pray for you? Where you can live that life-on-life relationship together with two other people that love Jesus too and can walk with you. That's, that's a, a, that would be a life-transforming experience if you've not done it before. Because I can point you to people in our church that are doing a cluster group right now, and they'll tell you, I've heard several times, this is an anchor for me right now. But the other, the other group environment that we're going to be pushing in the, in the years to come are connecting events and classes. We've got a team that, that's planning some connecting events, and, and like the camping trip. It's a good example. And other men's and women's events. Other opportunities for you to, to connect relationally with other followers of Jesus. And maybe people outside the church. We had a questioning Christianity, which was a connecting event. We had some folks from outside our church come and ask really good questions. It really challenged me. And I had to say, you know, at some point, I don't know. <laughs> That's a really good question. That's what we hope to have more of in years to come. And finally, connecting classes. We're going to have our first connecting class in July, where Mark Vaughn and I are going to lead a class. It's going to be a three-week class during the week at the Commons on prayer. And we're going to hope to offer those regularly in the years to come. But you notice all those things happen in community. That's what we want to push. You need a tribe. You need a tribe. So would you pray with me? I just want to spend a few moments uh, in praying first 
if you would be so bold as to ask God to examine your heart. Ask God to examine your heart in this moment for the Holy Spirit to speak to you and to to convict you. Perhaps your heart has wandered from God. Maybe you're here this morning and you you can say, yeah, my heart is cold. Or maybe your heart is focused like Solomon on something other than Christ right now. And that's what you've attached yourself to. Would you just pray with me? Ask God to examine you. Ask him to meet you in this moment. And then, and then ask him to draw you back. So let's, let's just pray uh, for a few moments. Ask God to meet us. Be with us. Holy Spirit, our hearts are prone to wonder. And at this 10-year celebration, we need to be reminded of that. And we need to be reinvigorated, renewed towards following you. Lord, we ask, Holy Spirit, for you to move in this room right now and encourage and speak to those who perhaps have been far from you for a long, long time. And they know their hearts are far from you. Would you meet them, Holy Spirit? Would you convict? Would you break them? And point them to the living water that can truly satisfy their hearts. Holy Spirit, would you work in our community in the years to come as we seek to equip our tribe here at King's Church in their relationship with you to keep you at the center. And to see how our lives might be transformed and and how we might go out from here each Sunday and live in our spheres of influence and be light. To be a part of something bigger than our own little stories. To be a part of your story. Thank you for the privilege it is to, to pastor this church, Lord, of these people. I love them. I thank you for them. And I pray for each and every one of us that our love for you would grow more and more and that we would bring you honor and glory. Jesus, it's you we love and it's in your name we pray. Amen.